This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatar, and this is The Beirut Banyan. going to get into taqaddum and and your work in there and what it what it means now to be in the opposition but before going there a few weeks ago maybe about a month ago when the news of the oil tanker emerged i think maybe within hours if not perhaps a day or two there was a more open conversation about this very elaborate program with the world bank jordan Egyptian gas, American ambassador pushing for that. Uh, it seemed like that's the way business should be done when it comes to state-to-state -state affairs. And whether it costs more or not is a different story, but at least the World Bank is more familiar when it comes to these types of arrangements than a militia turning to its sponsor for energy. So I'm curious from, from your analysis and maybe your understanding of that situation, do you think that's a policy that is more long-term and able to dissuade a group like Hezbollah from trying this again so that it maybe alleviates the problem to the degree that you won't see Hezbollah trying to persuade its own community through oil tankers? Or is that something that's going to keep happening in your mind? These are, in a way two approaches to the same problem. Yeah, uh, so uh, these are like, if you want, two different issues. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, what's happening with the government uh, is the right thing to happen. Like a government decides on policies yes. and decides on the strategy and goes, finds ways to make that strategy uh, happen, right? So from the beginning, if Lebanon wanted to get gas from Egypt because gas is less expensive than fuel, and now we're looking uh, to, uh, to like all the, uh, the cheaper uh, ways to get electricity. So they should have talked to the Americans from the start that we need to get this waiver from you and on the Caesars, uh, right. on the Caesars yes. Act to be able to get gas through the pipeline, yes. through Syria to Lebanon. Mm -hmm. Okay, they should have done that right. from the beginning and asked for that. Because this is what actually Iraq had done. Iraq has asked for a waiver mm. to be able to bring in Iranian gas to the power stations in Basra. When you say they, are you referring to the regime? Or yes, yeah, yes, so that, yes. So that this should have been done earlier. Exactly. Yeah. So a state that has a strategy looks mm. for ways to make that strategy happen. Yes. So they could have gone and talked to the Americans saying that we need this waiver because it's very important for us to get gas from Egypt because that way we will be paying less money for the fuel oil and right. this is a cheaper way for us especially that now we have this crisis mm -hmm. you know yeah. and even think of the Jordanian electricity because Jordan had been in touch with Lebanon for 
for the, since last year saying that we are able to give you electricity because we, because we have an excess of electricity and we want Same. to be the hub of electricity and give it to our neighbors and you can in exchange give us water at that time it was right if you yes. remember yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. this is not today and this is not something that is that happened today it's something that has been that has been in the making for months now. So it's unrelated to what Hezbollah is doing? It is unrelated to what Hezbollah is doing. It could be that Hezbollah knew about all these talks that were happening, mm. but it wanted to put it in a way that this is a reaction to his proposal to bring in uh, Iranian uh, diesel. Because right. I'm sure like, if these kind of discussions are happening on the level of bringing gas, to Syria, etc. Hezbollah is aware of the discussions, you right, know? Right. So it could be that they knew about these things, but they were first to announce the Iranian shipment, so that looks like the proposal, the Arab gas pipeline and gas from Egypt would, would look like a reaction to, to, the, uh, to Hezbollah's proposal, you know? Right. But these are two different things, because we're talking about a state wanting to bring in gas for the uh, public utility, for EDL, Electricité yes. du Liban. Yeah. What Hezbollah is doing, they're bringing uh, the diesel for the generators. Right. Right? right. So don't forget, so for those who don't yes, know, yes. like for in Lebanon, before like a before, like, couple of months, we <laughs> used to have 24-hour electricity, but divided between generators and the, yes, uh, the yeah. public utility, right? right? But yeah. you used to have 24-7. At least in Beirut, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was everywhere, yeah. everywhere yeah. that could afford, you like could, in yeah, big exactly. cities, yeah. whoever could afford, you could have had 24-7, yes. but divided between the uh, EDL the, uh, the and, yes. private, and private generators. Right. So today what Hezbollah is doing, bringing a diesel for the private, uh, private generators and for the institutions that use motor, right. okay, generators, right. to be able to use the diesel for that. So in a sense that these are just overlapping issues, but one is being done through the official channels that, that in a way makes more sense when it comes to a state's responsibility. Exactly. And the other one is a proxy trying to just secure some fuel. So a proxy, securing, yeah, exactly, yeah. to the private sector, okay, right. and to the, to, to the institutions. Yes. Yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, what what they would be doing yeah. once this happens yes. and if it enters okay because for me i think like if the first tanker comes in i think like th there is no problem anymore to bring in others but what will happen because most probably it won't enter these tankers won't enter in a legal way exactly again for the sanctions reasons right. what will right. happen if they go through syria and from syria coming through the smuggling uh, roads so then yeah. you would be having Imagine you're having smuggled products and non-smuggled products in <laughs> Lebanon. Right. Right? So yeah. you have al-mazout al-muharrab, okay, and al-mazout al-shari'i min al-shariket. So this is what will happen. So this, this will be the situation in the country. Then again, for the benzene, when it arrives, today they're saying that the diesel will be given to uh, institutions, okay, hospitals, uh, bakeries, etc. And they're saying they're given, they, it will, they will be given, so referring, no money. You're referring to Hezbollah. No? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, to Hezbollah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what will happen to the benzene? Are they going to give benzene for free? So you will have uh, benzene stations where there are free benzene? No way. No, it will be a catastrophe. But you're, the way you're describing it also, it makes sense in, some, in a related subject. I'm going to go one step ahead. Um, this issue that it's coming from Syria, 
and on the at least in the Egyptian Jordanian matrix where it comes through Syria avoiding sanctions on that side which is I, I guess the better of the two options it's the standard option um, it was I think over the weekend I think it was maybe Sunday you had that image of the defense minister, Lebanese defense minister, and the Syrian defense minister. And it really reminded me of the 1990s, where Assad's photo is at the top, two Syrian flags, Lebanese and Syrian representative talking about Lebanon. For me, that's the old days. Take the other side, smuggling, whether it's the tanker or any future tankers, where they come via illegal channels that also in, in, in a way, it implies some pressure, or at least some, perhaps, benefit from the Syrian side, the Syrian regime, and that if you want these to pass, there's going to be a quid pro quo. But Syria gets leverage through this mess. I don't know if that's an opinion that resonates beyond a few people on Twitter. I'm curious from your side. Do you think that that is a consequence of what's happening? That as the Syrian regime, in a way, comes back to life, that it may have a stake in Lebanon's future, at least in terms of what we're experiencing now at the economics level, that they can perhaps make it easier on us or harder on us, depending on what we're doing. Look. And I know we went a little far away, no, no, but no, I... No, no, but it's all linked. It's yeah. all linked. In 2005, you remember when Hezbollah said, thank you, Syria. Of course. Right? Yeah. And they didn't forget how Syria went out of this country. Yeah. And when this issue happened about like one thing about this kind of the signal, positive signal from the uh, American ambassador saying that we are okay, we are discussing at the treasury level removing or giving some waiver to Lebanon. The first yes. thing that the leader of Hezbollah said, you need to go to Syria respectfully and talk to them and ask their permission. Yeah. So this was like after 15 years yeah. where he's reminding people that you need to go respectfully to Syria. But at the same time, it's so painful. I'll, I'll come back to this flag issue. Mm. So it was so painful because if today Bashar al-Assad is still in power, it's because Lebanese people have died for him. Absolutely. So. It's not the same anymore. It's not that they have the upper hand on us right. because they need to respect us because there are Lebanese blood that is keeping Bashar al-Assad in power. This hasn't been taken into account, and this saddens me because at the end of the day, these are Lebanese young guys that have died in Syria. Yep. So they're Lebanese, yep. so it touches me. Yeah. And now we are going this way in a... In a in a way that was humiliating for us. Like, to tell you something, look, this was a prerequisite for them. Like, you go first, you talk to Syrians, and then we discuss the issue of bringing gas from Egypt to Lebanon. Right. And the other thing that, ha that, that happened is like, yes, the flags were not there. Even, even on the table, the coffee table that was in front of them. Right. Like, just put a small Lebanese flag at least, right? When you're drinking the coffee, and no, bring with you, mug, bring you know. with you, hey, they want small and put it there. Best and just like to remind everyone. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's so unfair to have a delegation that went after 10 years in, in this, way, Absolutely. this way. But this was something that Hezbollah wanted to happen this way. To remind everyone that in 2005, they left, but today you're 
you're, you're respecting them again. And one, one additional thing that I didn't like in that, the press release that came out mm. saying that Lebanese delegation asked for the support and the right. help yes. and the help yeah. from Syria and Syria ex uh, yeah. accepted. I'm sorry, what kind of help is that? <laughs> the gas is Egyptian. Electricity is a Jordanian. Jordanian yeah. It's just the transit that is Syrian. Yeah. And for that, Syria will get money. Or it will get in kind either gas or electricity. So they have something that they will gain. Plus, this you know, removing the waiver, it means that the opening up of Syrian economy and for Arabs to accept to work with Syria. So this is a lot of gain to Syrians. So how can you accept as a delegation to put in the press release that we are asking for help and Syria accepted to help us? See, this is unacceptable. This is very political. And it was just a reminder of they left in 2005 that way. But today we are being, we're, we're kind of, you know, as a, as a kind of revenge of what yeah. happened, look, you have to go and respect, you have to respect them. This is what you said. You go and you respect them. And nobody respects us as Lebanese. Why? You know, I saw it a slightly different way. I saw it as the Syrian regime trying to do what it does best, which is uh, create problems and then have the key to, to solve them. And I thought of that as this is their old habits of they can take advantage of a crisis that's happening. And in return, they could perhaps have some influence later. So I, I, but I guess the way you're saying it, it's a healthy reminder as well that it's not that long ago, that's 16 years ago, that we were under Syrian occupation. So things can also go the other way again. But leaving that, that, that subject, I've seen your name in very, um, I mean, it's going back a bit now, but the Hoffline, Fred Hoff, <laughs> Uh, this is now, what, 10 years ago, maybe? 2010 or 11? 11. 11, okay. Yeah. And I remember seeing your name as sort of the, you were the critic of, of certain positions. At times you were not, but I think more often than not you were a, I wouldn't say a fierce critic, but you were, you were vocal about your concerns, I'll say it in a nice way. And I think maybe a year ago, I was attending a Zoom call and he was there, and you were in the call as well. And I was like, oh, of course, there's Lori. And I could see your comments in caps lock, you know, like, hello, remember me. This is everything that's wrong. I know this issue came up again, and then it sort of just died. Mm -hmm. It was almost like a post-mortem, you know. It came back to life and fell apart again. I assume that this is just an unresolved problem. And is there anything that should be said at this point in terms of where we are, the crisis we're facing, and even if it takes 10 years or longer to extract something from the water, yeah. is this something that should be a pressing concern? Because I assume, had things been already accomplished in a way that makes sense, this would have been helping us already. And we're 10 years after, and we're in the middle of that crisis, and it's still years and years away. So as much as you can reflect on what happened and why it's not dealt with the way it should be, mm -hmm. and maybe just if your positions have changed at all, because I know that the line has changed many times. <laughs> I'm wondering if your position has changed depending on where the line is. 
the, uh, so tell, let me tell you something about this maritime border dispute, yes. right? Because again, to link to link it back to what happened with Syria. So in April yeah, right. 2021, mm -hmm. uh, we uh, it was announced that a, a Russian company uh, got one a, a bid or a contract with the Syrian uh, government on block one from the Syrian side, yes, and that block right. one is like. Uh, has an overlap with block one and two on our side. Right. When we're talking offshore, yes. right? Yeah. So there is an overlap of 750 square kilometers of overlap that mm. could be potential that could be potential reserves there. And we were like really pushing so hard for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to talk to the ambassador, the Syrian ambassador, about mm. that issue. Mm. And they were so reluctant to do that. And I haven't heard anyone saying that we should now form in a delegation from the Minister of Defense with the Minister of Foreign Affairs and go talk to the Syrians about this. But the moment there was something about we, we, we asking the Syrians for support and help, they formed a delegation to go talk about the gas issue. But they never formed a, 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 a delegation to go talk about our rights in the offshore waters, right. just to see about like how they deal with Syria and to go back to this relation that is always like they want us always to be inferior to the Syrians. So sorry to interrupt. That that is something that should have been brought up over the weekend. Of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, and this yeah. is something that we wrote on Twitter, and definitely there were mm. all these critiques. Like, did did the delegation talk about that as well? Did they form a committee yeah. that would later talk about these things? Yeah. They didn't do that. Why is that? These are our resources. There could be potential resources there, oil or gas. Why didn't you go and start the negotiations or at least start forming a committee to talk about it? So when our rights are in danger, we don't form. Uh, we don't form a delegation to go talk to the Syrians, but when we need to go and ask them for for the transit, we do that. So this, it's very political with the Syrians. So that's on the Syrian side. Yes. Which I remember, I mean, that it's funny. I your expectations are at the right level. They're at the at, they're at there where they should be, and it would never cross my mind that the Lebanese representative would bring anything up other than we do whatever you want, which is the worst way of going back to Syrian hegemony. And I'm glad you're saying it, that this is something we should demand from them. Of course. That's on the northern side. Yes. On the southern side is what I know you better from. Yes. Uh, sort of a <laughs> delicate dispute. Is, is there anything that has been advanced on, that, on the other end of the border that is perhaps more in line with the way you saw things? Because yeah. I know that the Hoff line changed a bit over time. The Americans came back and sort of reassessed a few things. And I don't want to make it personal here, but I remember my father was involved in 2011, I think, in terms of just the maps. Because I used to see him with a ruler and sort of like a, almost a magnifying, like trying to find where that line is. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny, like, what the hell are you doing? I think that island is ours. <laughs> what island? It's like some rock in the middle of nowhere. The name escapes me now. That famous rock that uh, was... The, from the Israeli side, the Techelet. Thank you. Yeah. Like, That's ours. Like, are you sure? No, wait, let me move the ruler. So is there anything that you can say yeah. in terms of, has it, is it a better situation now for Lebanon? Is it worse? Yeah. It's just, again, to link it to politics, yeah. because we do tend to talk about these in a technical way, mm. but we go back always to politics, yeah. uh, because we need to understand the context. Uh, we, we have this dispute between Lebanon and Israel since 2010, okay? 
and why in 2020 they've decided to go into the uh, negotiations again. It's very important to understand because mm. once you understand the objectives, you understand all the moves. Right. For the political parties, this was a survival tool in their hand. They were, mm. they were mm. in a deep crisis. Uh, there were like sanctions okay, all over, and, uh, and the closest person to uh, Mr. Nabih Berri was sanctioned. You, you stopped the sanctions. Okay, you sanctioned my, uh, the second, or the second uh, in line uh, to Mr. Berri or the closest, uh, closest aid to Mr. Berri. You stop it there. I give, uh, we can launch the negotiations. Okay? Right. And the president needed as well something like really to show to people that he is like really preserving our sovereignty, etc. So, but it came at the wrong time where we had like the deep, deepest crisis ever. Yeah. So, and we started these negotiations and it was the big surprise that Lebanon, uh, the negotiating team decided that, look, something wrong had happened in, 12, in 2011 yeah, right. and we want to correct that. And we don't agree, we don't believe that the 860 square kilometer of disputed zone that we had, which was between the borders that were um, uh, chosen by the Israelis and the border that were, yes. uh, or the, uh, the, the coordinates that were uh, identified by Lebanon that created this dispute of 860 square kilometers, this is not the right approach. And the right way of, of uh, identifying the uh, maritime borders is in a different way, which then ended up with line 29. That's the most recent line. Line, yeah, exactly. Right, right. So we ended up having yeah. line one on the map. So for those, those yes. who want to see the map, line one is what is claimed by the Israelis. Right. Line 23 is what is claimed by Lebanon in 2011. Right. Yeah, and yeah. line 29, it was what is claimed by the negotiating team in 2020. And in between, you have the Hof line, which is the, right. the first attempt to negotiate and to mediate between Lebanon and Israel, which ended up with the Hof line splitting the, uh, the disputed zone right. into 55% uh, to Lebanon, 45% to Israel. Right. Okay, so the discussion, the, 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 all of this started, the negotiations started over these lines. Uh, the Lebanese position was that the starting point should be line 29 for Lebanon and not line 23. The Israelis said, no, this is not how it goes because for you in the UN, you have maps that say that your, your coordinates and your borders are line 23. And we are saying yes, it's line one. And so we, we will negotiate over these lines. Hmm. And it stopped and negotiations stopped. So that, so now it's just not on the table at all. So now it's not on the table. Yeah. Because the last time that there were there were negotiations were on the fifth of fourth of May, twenty twenty one. Right. Okay. So they went for six hours to Naura for negotiations. Yeah. Uh, they came to uh, Babda Palace. They told the president that the uh, the uh, mediator told us that we the next day we're going back just to negotiate over the eight hundred sixty square kilometers. The president said that is not uh, acceptable. And he asked the team not to go back to the negotiations. Oh, of, okay, right. And so this is how it ended. So it ended with him saying, we're done with this. Yes. And, okay, right, right. I want to ask you about taqaddum and what you expect from elections. And I'll ask you in a very specific way. You mentioned 2005 earlier. I remember 2005. I remember those elections. 
Forget about what you think about those people. Forget about it. You had a victory among a coalition that saw Lebanon in a, in a certain way. And you had the same election in 2009 with the same victory. None of those elections yielded positive change. Even when there were people elected demanding that change, it didn't happen. It didn't happen for a number of reasons, but one of them is that we saw what happens to Lebanon when you step in that direction. It's a year in between. It's 2008, May of 2008, where it's you have to choose between pushing the envelope and causing a crisis or a forced national unity government, which is what we got again in 2016 and brought us to where we are. How do you see this election? Whether it's different, whether if you could get into parliament or colleagues that got in, would they even be able to enact the change that you want to begin with? And is all of this stuff possible without addressing that one subject that comes up in every single conversation. Happens online, happens in person. We talk about it. The sovereignty problem that Lebanon has, Hezbollah at the moment, it wasn't always Hezbollah. Is any of this possible? Is any reform possible? Uh, your fears uh, are in the right place, right? And what you're describing is the biggest fear to continue with uh, with the same system uh, and in 2022 uh, we might end up having a parliament that is full of corrupt people criminals thugs smugglers that are into the parliament to get the immunity yeah. so do you want this out, out like out of the law or the thugs parliament yeah. or you want a parliament with full of people that are building a state and a nation. This should be very clear for the people. Mm. Okay? And today, we all lost everything in this country. Yes. Right? We all lost everything. And those who left the country, they left the country because it's not because they hate the country. So they still believe in the country. Absolutely. So that's why for me, this is not like those who left, it's not that... We lost them. On the contrary, we're winning them abroad because from abroad they will be able to bring the positive energy into the country, support in different ways mm. to make the change happen. So yes. it's good. Whoever is like feeling depressed and needs to leave, yes, leave, go, fill yourself with positive energy because we need you for the battle. You know. So and and this is very important so because they're not leaving because they hate the country they hate the political parties and they hate the politicians so how well, if you hate someone you need to get rid of these people so you go outside you live a life you get full of energy you get inspired you get angry every day that you have a hardship in abroad you will need to know that it's because of these people it's not because of the country it's because of these political parties and people and then you come back and fight for it when the elections happen either from there from abroad or when they come here i it's very important for every person that has left on the day of election to come and vote in lebanon to come and vote in lebanon the diaspora and the people that have left now that will come and vote against these people will be very important these people will come back those people that are like uh, fans of these political parties will not come back because at the end of the day, political parties today cannot give them anything. And their relations to them were based on interest. Yeah. 
But the others that left the country, they love the country. And for the sake of the country, they'll come back and vote against them. So that will make a huge difference. So yes, be happy you are abroad because you're bringing a positive energy later. Don't feel guilty at all. Yeah. We are happy that we're having so much people leaving the country and full of good energy from outside coming in and putting all the energy in here. That's why we are going to win these elections. Very clear. Today, we're ruined because of them. Yeah. So the, the message is clear. It's clear. For 30 years, we know what they've done. We know the consequences of their actions. Look, today we're ruined all. And we have these people on the other side that want to bring back the state. So either you want a, a, a parliament of thugs, criminals, or you want a, a parliament that is full of people that are reformists that want to build the country. We'll work together. Yes, we have differences. Yeah, left, right. I don't know what, but left, right doesn't mean anything when you don't have a state. So we'll work all together to have the state first, and then we'll see like which, which whatever like changes we want. First, you need the state. The state is non-existent. It doesn't matter today, left or right. We need to end the monopolies that are bringing, uh, that are like really ruining the the economy. We need to put an end to this system that has been created. So the wave will make the difference. The wave. But I appreciate what you're saying about the state. And I think I asked it in, a, in maybe a sloppy way. Is the state recoverable if the sovereignty issue is not addressed? Meaning that get the brightest people in Lebanon that are still here fighting politically into power. Get them all into parliament. Go a step further. Let's say half of parliament in the next election, not this one, coming one, is from October 17. Imagine that scenario. Half the parliament is suddenly this movement, given the majority, do you think that the state can be fixed through the, through the traditional uh, centers of power, that parliament could be the avenue? Because the way I see it, and I, I hope I'm wrong, is what will happen, is, sorry, is what happened before, is that you have a parliament that is full of, let's say, a majority of people that want something to happen. It doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen because that one issue is left unresolved. So I, I, I'm sorry I'm asking it in an in a almost no, circular no, no. way, but because you're mentioning the state, and I agree with you, but is that state possible? For, for us, we see what's happening uh, now in the, in the international community. They want to stabilize Lebanon again, which means that keep it as it is. We can't do anything about it. And we have different uh, interests going yeah. around, regional, etc. Yes. And we are really being vocal with this international community, saying that, no, you know, it's not about stability. Yeah. It's, it goes beyond. Yeah. And this system is, is, is kind of, they're, they're supporting each other. The weapon of Hezbollah is protecting the thugs. It's very Absolutely. clear. Yeah. Very clear, because yeah. for him, it wants a weak institution. And for the thugs, the weak institution, fine, it's because they do whatever they do. But it doesn't mean that Hezbollah is now in a safe place, right? Right, yes. Because it has lost a lot of credibility. Right. Today, thinking about his community, how to protect his community, this is not what he wanted. At yeah. the end of the day, this was the resistance against Israel. And it had the respect of the people because it was the resistance right. against Israel. Yeah. Today, he's just like one, one militia or one political party that has weapons that is trying to protect its community. Look, yeah. look how downgrading it is from the resistance. Yeah. 
respected by everyone, even in the Arab world, yeah. to becoming like to, to wanting to bring in one tanker to <laughs> fill the, uh, the the generators of the hospital. Right. I, I agree with your. So yes. So it it is not an easy battle mm. because at the end of the day, Hezbollah's affiliation with Iran. And Iran seeing Hezbollah as a success of the Iranian revolution doesn't make it easy to us. Mm. So it makes it like double burden on us to fight to make sure that we're gaining back the state. Do I have the means now to go and fight them? Of course not. Right? But the way they, are, they keep on reducing the state to non-existent is harming them. It's harming them because they are becoming so reduced to today just like trying to feed their people. Yeah. But so this goes back to the beginning. It, it is very important. These are things, yeah. very important things. At the same time, at the international community level, discussing these things, why we're talking to, to the international community. Unfortunately, we're inheriting a, a, a politics that are so linked with what's happening regionally and internationally that yes. I cannot just say that, no, I don't talk to, talk to the international community. I have to talk to them. They are involved in everything. When they say that, oh, Mr. X and uh, XY, I don't know whom, has the uh, blessing of the French. And so he can, uh, he can form a government. Excuse me? And the blessing of the people. The <laughs> Does it exist? No, so yeah. it's so, it, it is not easy, but is it, it's a battle that we are winning. It takes time. So that's why we're saying 2022 is very important to keep on punching these people. What some, what some are saying... It's like, today we don't punch them because, no, we go to the gym and do the exercises so that we have muscles. To do what? <laughs> I, I need to punch them all the time because today they're so weak that I need to keep punching them. And this is how I make muscles. But not going to the gym and we like exercise to make the muscles and fight whom and keep them fight because every time I don't punch them, they become stronger. So I need to keep on punching them. I need to keep on reminding people that these people are the reason of our misery. Every, all of them. And even Hezbollah is under attack, you know? It's, uh, there are like, there are, it's, it's accumulation of a lot of things since 2005, then 2011, yep. 13, yep. 14, 16, 28 and 98, 18 and 19. All of that has weakened them. So even you remember, I remember in 2016, we couldn't even even pronounce the name of Mr. Birri. Sure. Today, look what's happening. Uh, Mr. Nasrallah, same. Yeah. You know, we couldn't even, even think of him. You know, so things are changing and these are important changes that are happening. I'm not saying it's easy, but we need to take advantage of every milestone to take back the country and to rescue it from these people. No, I appreciate this framework and I won't take too much more of your time. I just, no, no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm fine. No, and I will say this, I'm going to say this. Uh, you have so many more responsibilities than I do. You have children, you have a husband, you have, a, you know, a family that is probably missing you and I'm here keeping you. So. Not at all. Like my, my family is supporting and if they want to stay here, we need to do these things. I agree. But I, I like the way you're saying it. You said a few things that, that made me think about uh, where you stand and, and where things are moving. I think it's not your burden... And I mean you as a opposition member, or my burden, or anybody in Lebanon's burden, to fight that war because the tools are not here. You can't pursue diplomacy 
with a regional army that is based in Lebanon. It just doesn't work. There's no negotiations over a proxy militia's security apparatus. That has been tried before, went nowhere. So it's clear that I, I don't think the opposition should be blamed for not even wanting to go down that road with Hezbollah, because it's not a political dispute. It's not left and right the way you said it or whatever. It's not a conservative economic platform versus something more liberal. This is a regional army sponsored by Iran in Lebanon and Lebanese protesters. There's no harmony there. I also like what you're saying, that you see things moving in the wrong direction when it comes to international engagement, and I completely agree. I think this is now what I do for a living. I write about these things. I meet many of the people you've met. I'm not as public in my uh, photos, but uh, we've met the same people. We go to it's the same. It's for transparency, right? Okay, good. For you. It's uh, not. It's yeah. not that because I like posting, but it's for transparency because we don't want to end up people saying that we are conspiring against sure. and against people. We do all yeah. our meetings in full transparency, I and whenever be. they tell us like, "Oh, let's do meetings, but no photos," we don't like it. Yeah. No, I think you guys are more attractive anyway than I am. So when you're in the photos, <laughs> it makes more sense. Like, why would I want to? But th it's this. It's this fear that. The 1980s, things were very bad. Things were very chaotic. The economy was miserable. Lebanon was dying. And the sort of consensus was stabilize. 30 years of that misery. So that's Syria, that's Hezbollah, and that's where we are right now. Stabiliz stability that kills the country. Crisis management. And I think what your, what your desires are is really conflict resolution. You want to end the conflict, not kick it down the road. But I get the feeling that international parties don't really have the appetite to do that. So let's assume all of the above I are true. I have a plan for that. Okay, and I, I, I'm going to ask you about the plan, but I, I've pitched this idea before. If you have decent-minded opposition figures, some of them are in their early 20s, and they should be in parliament. They have every right to be, and they're more talented than probably anyone in Parliament right now. They should not fight this war. It's not in them. It's not geopolitical struggle and reform on the most basic level. They should sort of have that healthy separation. I do think it's the international community's burden. It's not ours to find a way to reestablish Lebanon's sovereignty, because it's not in our hands, but it's in their hands. And I think they should be the ones pressuring Iran in a way that makes sense. It doesn't have to be through, there's no violent agenda here, there's no war. It's just that Iran should not get away with having their matrix based here. Or Syria should not be the inheritor if Iran steps one foot back. You don't want Syria stepping in. I think that is the burden of the international community. And I think they should be elevating that issue. So then I'll ask you, is that your plan? Or do you have something fundamentally different? And whether or not what I'm saying even resonates with you, if that makes sense or you see that as problematic? Uh, look, I always, about this, the regional international connections, I always give this example of 1990 when... Uh, the strongest militia we had was were the Lebanese forces. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, and then one day this compromise came in 
and yep. there were like this regional slash international uh, peace process, etc. That or the moment came, and then there were, the decision was that all the militias, among them the Lebanese forces, had to give in their arms and mm -hmm. weapons yep. and become a political entity. Absolutely, that could be one thing. That's why it's not that we don't keep on fighting internally here for our right, for our state. It's not that we wait for that moment we don't do anything here. Mm. On the contrary, we fight as much as we can because we're fighting to bring back our state and the sovereignty of our state until maybe that moment will come where they will decide that Hezbollah will become only a political entity and not a, uh, an entity fully weaponized, right? But at the same time, we cannot sit and wait for that moment. We need to act and, uh, and be uh, active in the country. One other thing about stabilizing and the stability that now we're hearing about. Yeah. Ah, let's stabilize it. Oh, no, they need electricity. They need I don't know what. Oh, so let's, let's give them money. Let's give them I don't know what. Let's give them a push. Let's give them, yeah. etc. So for us, it's very clear. Yeah. These people need to feel the heat, our people, so that they feel that staying in power is harming them and they need to leave. Sanctions could be one way, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And the European Union is thinking about sanctions. The governments of the European Union are thinking of sanctions. They this think is, a lot. Right. Okay. <laughs> they, they, at the end of the day, they, at the end of the day, if there are corrupt people that have bought assets, houses, mansions in their countries, they need to know how where the money is coming from to right. buy that, yes. right? Yeah. So it's about their internal accountability yes. and yes. transparency and transparent system because yeah. they don't want to be the safe ha haven sure. of corrupt people, Absolutely. right? So yeah. this is one. That's why the sanctions, or at least um, publishing the assets of these people that exist, don't sanction you, Habibi. Let me know these people here that are pretending that, oh, we, we don't have anything, we are poor or whatever, or no, I don't have money outside. Let me know what they, the, the, the different houses, mansions, villas, I don't know what that they have in Europe. Yeah. It, 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 their people need to know as well. The second thing is, like, we've decided that if the international community, especially the Europeans and even the, the US, they decide to to come to a deal with this political entity here in Lebanon, Hezbollah and the rest, yeah. to stabilize and to keep them in power, we are going to talk to the taxpayers in Europe, telling them, your people are supporting criminals. If my country is not going well, every European parliamentarian needs to feel the heat that maybe their seat and their position in the European Parliament will be in danger because we're going to talk to their people, to those who vote for them, tell them, look what your parliamentarian, your MP is doing to my country. So in a way, that's almost like a... Uh, to the taxpayers. It's lobbying, but not lobbying. It's really just persuading... I'm, I'm not talking to the governments. Anymore. Right, not to the governments. Yeah. It's not yeah. government to government. Right. Government to government, look what they're doing. Yeah. Now they're going to the past. Oh, oh, we need to stabilize the countries going into this economic crisis. Who has done this economic... Who was the cause of this economic, sanction, economic crisis? These people. These people cannot be part of the stabilization or part of the solution. Today I was having lunch with a friend. She told me... These are anti-reform. Exactly. We work on anti-corruption and they work for anti-reforms. 
They cannot reform. They cannot re- reform. They are not reformists. They cannot reform. They cannot be part of a solution. They have been part of the disaster. They cannot be part of the solution. So, therefore, we are going to that path. Like, you but, but cannot support these people anymore. I agree with you. And just two points that I'd like to clear out before I let you go. And I'll, uh, I'll, you're being very kind with your time. There's two things you said, and I'll, I'll start with the, the last one. Um, talking, to, talking to people about their country's uh, preference to stability over what we want, which is a overhaul of this nightmare. I, in that conversation, does that include engaging Iran? So I, I, I'm, I'm curious whether or not the opposition would be able to call on those countries to do two things, really. Don't ignore the reformists. Don't engage the regime that is thuggish now and, and beyond its prime. And talk to Iran in a constructive way so that Hezbollah, the way we understand it now, is not the way it will be in the coming years. Because I'm, I'm trying to find a way out for the geopolitical problem to sort of temper itself, not in a way that's bad for Lebanon. Because you really don't want the Syrian regime to be the stabilizing force. If Iran goes one day and Hezbollah packs up a bit, you don't want Assad to be the one that comes in and says... We want no one to come in. Right. So (laughs) We we are going to work on having a country that is able to govern itself. Exactly. But in that... That is the aim. Right. But let's... Would it be also fair to say that those goals cannot be met here? We don't have the tools necessary to talk to Iran. We as Lebanese don't. We have Hezbollah that talks to Iran, and Iran talks to us through Hezbollah. So I don't know if the opposition can circumvent that I would. Group. I would talk. I always say, like, they yeah. tell me, like, oh, you met Mr. Shankar. Yes, he yeah. invited us. Yeah. He wanted to to, uh, to meet with us. Ahlan wa sahlan. I meet anyone. If now, today, after this meeting, uh, or after the, this, I get a call from the Iranian ambassador saying that we want to meet with you, understand who you are, ahlan wa sahlan. I will go talk to them and explain to them what's happening and the harm that is happening. And that, yes, we do want to have normal relations with Iran, state to state, people right. to people, yeah. but not the way that is now established. I, we want to don't, we don't want to be the, uh, the, 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 the the space or the venue for any international or any regional uh, conflict, tension, exactly. etc. We want our own state. We want to live as a state. And we will have the best relations with everyone. But I guess what I'm asking is, international community, can they play a constructive role in that, in that issue? We rely on ourselves, on our interests. Every mm. state does its own interest, Mm-mm-mm. right? Yeah. The problem here in Lebanon is that we have groups that are aligned with different interests. Yeah. And they don't care about the interest of Lebanon. So for us in the opposition, it's clear what the interest of the country is. Mm. So we talk to each of these entities about like what's in the best interest of Lebanon. That's why I. That's why the next phase for us is not talking to the governments. We are the opposition. We talk to the people of the European Union to um, to force or to pressure their governments to take the right action. So you really think that this is still a local issue in that sense? The Lebanese do have a say in what 
Iran does to Lebanon. Yes. Here, here. Not yes. not in the like it's a multi-level issue. Yeah. Right? It's yeah, very yeah. complex and that's why it's so difficult. And yeah. that's why even like the revolution is so difficult Absolutely. in Lebanon. But let's it, that, we yeah. always say it, everybody knows now. In so in, in Egypt, you topple one person and the regime goes. Eh? In, in, in Tunisia was the same. What to do? You, you, you break one, there is another one, you break one. So it's a system that you need to change. So it's not easy on us. It's really difficult. And if you make it, the whole Lebanese people deserves the peace, uh, the peace prize for what they've done. <laughs> Wallahi al-Azim, it's agree. so difficult what we're doing. Trying to save our country, trying to... It's trying to explain to people that you have a role to play. We cannot be passive citizens and saying that, you know what, we're waiting for the international community, we're for our government, let's wait until the U.S. elections. We finish with the U.S. elections. Oh, let, oh, oh, my God, yes, there is the Iranian election. We need to wait for the Iranian election. Then, oh, yes, we have to wait for the Iranians and the U.S. to talk to each other. In the meantime, what are we doing? It's, uh, this is our country. We, wipe, we, we fight for the country. We do whatever it takes internally. At the same time, we know it's an inter ex external battle. We know that it's a regional international. So we talk to the regional and international. I will wrap it up with two things. And the first is the way you describe the Lebanese forces at their end, really. Ta'if, this giant system wasn't just a militia. It was, in a sense, almost a government exactly. at, to a degree. It was running a whole uh, region. It was taxing. It had public transport. It had many things that in a way you would expect from a state. And I think at some point, if I remember right, there were two passports being issued, one for one section, the other for the other. And you had Babda, which was a illegal prime minister who's now our president, or whatever. That's a different <laughs> story. But the country was divided, and the Lebanese forces did run part of the country, port, a military airport. It was big. And then quickly it was removed. I'll add to this that it was quickly removed with Syrian oversight, which is not exactly how you'd want a Lebanese group to find itself disarmed. I think every group found itself under that issue, and yet Hezbollah survives. So that it's the you would want Hezbollah to face the same consequence as the Lebanese forces in 1990. What I want is for Hezbollah to surrender the, uh, the weapons to the uh, Lebanese army. Yes, yes, sorry. Yeah, this uh, is the evolution that yeah, will yeah. happen. No, no, you sorry, know? yeah. It's like, we don't want anyone, right? So the comparison was just like, at a certain moment, when there was this deal regionally and yeah. internationally, a militia as strong as the Lebanese forces ended, and it had to give away its weapons. This is what I sure. was just on no, no, that point. Absolutely. Now what we want, it's like, we want that for, for Hezbollah, for the sake of all the uh, all of, of of the old times when they were really uh, forced for, to uh, to that put uh, uh, an end to the Israeli occupation in the country, okay. For the sake of all that what ha had been done, we want them to be just like as other political entities in the country present there. We're sure they have uh, they have their communities. We're not saying that they don't represent anyone. Yeah. And this this weapon and the know-how that they've gained all over these years to transfer to the Lebanese army and then to become like just a normal country that has like a history of 
victories, okay, let's say, and then this is transferred to the Lebanese army that is, should, should protect the country, and then they can play whatever game they want to play, like other political parties, Absolutely. with the opposition that is there, and that with a different, different form, different form of governing, and not the sectarian system. But what we're having, unfortunately, today, it's like, you had the Maronite hegemony, then you had the Sunni, and then they feel that they're entitled for the Shia hegemony or the control. And what we are saying, it's like, no, now it's not time to continue with the system. Now it's time for the civil state and the secular state. And this is the real battle. Again, to go back to what we said, the real battle today is like, either we enforce the sectarian system and regime, and we talk about mutelate, or we go to a state where we're all equal. We're all equal. You're, you're from one sect, I'm from another sect. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we're all equal in front of the law, in front of the state. That's the big debate. And that, I think, is the debate that will happen naturally. That's the social pact conversation. How Lebanon was born. Whether Lebanon should be reimagined. How it could be reimagined. And that sort of what sectarianism could look like down the road, and what secularism Ugly. should look like. You know, uh, sectarianism, the way they're using it today, it's very ugly. I agree with you. I think the word has become negative because of the last three decades in particular, even going back earlier. But I think also, and maybe we can talk about this an another time, that there's ways to make sectarianism fine, neutral. It could be a Senate. It could be something that puts these insecurities in a place that is more meaningful rather than on the street or rather than in these shouting matches among crooked politicians or even when it comes to violence. You don't want sectarianism and violence to be the same thing. And I think there are ways to address that. That's reform at the end of the day. I'll just add one more thing and then we can wrap it up. I only meant that I don't want Hezbollah to, to be disarmed for the reasons that are bad for Lebanon. And I really fear an Iranian step back without international protection over our sovereignty could bring us back to 1990. And that's a very ugly chapter of our history. It took us 15 years to get out of that mess, but it's not... I just, I, I fear the worst when it comes down to a forced disarmament that is not coming from the right place. And I just, I don't want that era to return. I'm sorry to end it on that. No, of, you, you know. but it, 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 can't, it can't be like, Syria cannot be, cannot play any role in the country. Syria is so weak that it cannot pay, play that role, right? And they have no reason to give Syria that kind of a role I agree. In the, in the, Hezbollah, in the country. I think, would not want to let go of that kind of authority now. But I worry about an international, like what you said, the stabilization that looks better. We're going to fight stabilization. And it's not because we want the ruin of the country. It's not because we yeah. want the collapse for people to understand. Right. But stabilization is a bad word for us because it means the survival of the regime. And we don't want the survival of the regime. These people totally that were agree. the cause of the disaster cannot be the part of the solution. I completely agree. And you know what, Laurie, I'm going to say something. Uh, I think you should have been a theater uh, 
performer because you're so dynamic when you talk. I can change career. <laughs> okay. It's not too late. Let's do something together. What? A show. show. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Why not? We do specials. We both lose our audiences so quickly. <laughs> I don't think so. We broaden. We broaden? Uh, yeah, the audience. You have to think positive. Okay, I'll, I'll think yeah? also creative. What the hell could we do that would bring people to see us? Yeah, so I mean, let them yeah. be creative and I agree. suggest. You're really, uh, I, I'd like, I, I'm happy I can consider you a friend now. So, Laurie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening and watching. And a friendly reminder to support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.